This is WMPG. I'm Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today's story is an interview with Armenian-American Nubar Alexanian about the documentary film he's making with his daughter, Abby, called The Scars of Silence, Three Generations from the Armenian Genocide. Nubar Alexanian is an acclaimed documentary photographer whose work over the past 40 years has been featured in the New York Times Magazine, Life, Newsweek, and National Geographic. For the past four years, he's been working on this first feature-length documentary film with his daughter, Abby. He's been traveling to Armenia and Turkey, traveling the route of the forced death marches where thousands of Armenians were killed, and visiting the land that had been owned by his grandmother. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Nubar. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So 2015, I gather, marks the 100th anniversary of the Armenian Genocide that occurred in 1915. And I understand there were sort of two parts of it. There were these deportations, which were these forced marches and various massacres, totaling about 1.5 million Armenians who were killed. Mm-hmm. And in looking at the history of it, I understand it happened when the Ottoman Empire was kind of crumbling right at the beginning of World War I, and that the Armenian population was a Christian minority within a kind of a Muslim country that later went on to become Turkey. Why is this event important to you? Well, um, it has never been important to me. Um, I grew up really not knowing anything about it. And it wasn't until my daughter in maybe 2011 asked me if I would go to Armenia with her. She's half Armenian. And I said, sure, I would love to go with you. I mean, who would want to go with their daughter someplace? Right? But she still wanted to travel with you. She want, right. And so um, I was making plans to go to Armenia, the country of Armenia um, that still exists today. It's a part of the Soviet, it was part of the Soviet Union. And um, I was talking with a colleague who's Armenian, and she said, so what are your plans? And I told her I had this hotel in Yerevan and a good base to work from. And she, my first lesson here was her saying, what does Yerevan have to do with you? Nothing. And I was like, nothing? And she said, nothing. Your family, your grandparents come from Harput, which is a province in West, what was Western Armenia, historic Armenia, which is now Eastern Turkey. So we went on a trip and uh, with a guide and a number of other people, pilgrims, Armenian pilgrims, looking for their ancestral villages, and we found three of them, um, and one of them, the village of Husanig, which is my grandmother comes from, is very well documented. There's actually a map that shows where her house, her houses were, her family houses. Um, so I have never been to the country of Armenia yet, and that's on purpose, because I don't want to go there until I finish this movie. Uh-huh, because the country of Armenia as defined now is really outside the border of Turkey. Right, that's right. I see. Okay, thanks. So, for... and the the other piece of it is that, you know, I, my my grandparents didn't talk about it to, with my parents. My parents didn't talk about it with me. And I didn't talk about it with Abby. So I didn't really know anything. Now that you know more of the history, how do you understand why they didn't talk to you about it? 
Well, it's a complicated question. I think there's a simple answer, which is that it really is trauma that's being passed down from one generation to another. And what I've seen um, in my parents and in myself is I can feel that. And you don't know that you're traumatized. You don't have to know that you're traumatized to feel the effects of trauma. So the way that the genocide connects with me, um, I grew up with the underlying message, never to shine too brightly. And I never knew really what that meant, but it meant, but it sort of always meant to keep your head down, you know, and don't, just don't be out there too far. And in the process of making this movie, I can connect that in some ways to why April 24th is the date that the genocide is commemorated. It, that's the date when genocide began because it's the day when, in 1915, when the Ottomans rounded up 250 of the cultural leaders of Constantinople and removed, collected them, gathered them, took them away, and eventually massacred them all. Now, what's important here is that they're the cultural leaders. And what I've learned is they didn't just want to get rid of Armenians. They wanted to get rid of all things Armenian, cultural things. You know, every single cross, if they could eliminate it, they would. Um, they're still doing that today. Um, and so that's my connection to it. And one of the reasons why, and I'm just going to jump into this, yeah. why do so many people not know about the Armenian Genocide in America? I know the answer to that question, which is Armenians are not good at telling their stories. They do talk about the genocide in political terms. They want recognition from Turkey. Okay, fair enough. But even if recognition came right now, this moment today, that would only get Armenians so far because what we're carrying has to be something that's told in order for it to lift. The trauma cannot move without the story being told. Because the Armenian genocide has been so silenced, I think so many people don't even know really what we're referring to. Can you give me kind of a quick description of what we're actually talking about? So the, the short version is that the Armenian genocide started in 1915 on April 24th when the Young Turks gathered all of the cultural leaders in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, um, the Armenian cultural leaders, and removed them and eventually massacred them. That's why it's commemorated on April 24th. When they took power um, from the Ottomans, they wanted to modernize all of Turkey and turn it into a homogeneous Muslim country, which meant all Christians had to leave, Armenians, uh, Assyrians, Greeks. Um, at the same time, there was a war that they were engaged in in the Balkans, and they were losing. So all of those Turks had to come, Ottoman Turks had to come back and there was no room for them. So the Young Turks said, well, let's just put them in Anatolia, which has been Armenian 
Armenia for 2,500 years. So that's when the exterminations took place. Now, there are three young Turks. Um, of them, this man named Talat Pasha was a, a telegrapher. It was his passion. And so he sent out the orders for, he sent out an envelope to all of the leaders across the Ottoman Empire at that time and said, do not open this until you hear from me. And that's why the Armenian massacre started right away because everybody got their orders all at once and everybody knew what they had to do and they did it. And so they just started moving Armenians out. Um, and, and, and again, they did not want to just have them leave. They wanted to erase their culture. I mean, even down to, this is how paranoid they are, or, were, or still are today, even any references in, to plants and animals, any references to Armenians and plants and animals have been erased. You mean the names have been changed yes, into a different names, language? Or even like a reference to something that Armenians crossed this plant with this plant and came up with that plant. No. So that's the short version. And the denial by Turkey plays a very important role here for Armenians because genocide scholars agree that denial is the final act of genocide. The first act is the killing of the people. The second act, the final act, is the killing of the memory of the killing of the people. So denial keeps the genocide alive. So that it has, it, it, it's a genocide with no end. I can feel that. I feel that. I could feel that especially on this last trip. Um, denial also keeps the temperature on the anger up about Armenians for some Turks. So your daughter asks you to go to Armenia with her. Mm-hmm. At that time, you're thinking of this almost more like a tourist trip or like go claim your roots kind of thing. So how did that change? What what happened? You know, the unconscious works in strange <laughs> ways. I mean, mm-hmm. I was... I got a really high-end camera and a bunch of really good equipment, and I took it with me because that's what I know to do. But I didn't know that I was making a movie. I would have been happy at that moment of making a home movie. I mean, just something, whatever. I mean, go, I mean, I was going to spend three weeks with my daughter um, on a journey that she was on. And it turned out that she was my guide because she doesn't have the trauma. So she can see and she can hear things that I can't see and that I couldn't hear. What do you mean? Well, the importance of finding my grandmother's plot of land, for example. I mean, standing there on her land, and I didn't know, I had this, I brought this picture, a wedding, their, my grandmother's wedding picture in my, to my grandfather. I don't know why I did that. I didn't know why I brought it, but I certainly didn't plan on doing anything with it until we were on her land. And I turned to Abby and I said, I want to bury this picture. Will you help me? And so that's what we did. And I have no idea why I did that. But I stood up and I was choked up. Um, I had tears in my eyes. And from that point on, as we were traveling, whenever I would step on the land to get out of the van, I would 
get choked up and my my daughter would keep me keep stand between me and everybody else to let me have whatever moments I needed and um, what was and what were you crying about then what was touching you I I don't know I can't I just don't know uh, I can't I I don't know what was happening all I knew was it was different I'm imagining so your grandmother she leaves you know right after this huge massacre has happened so I mean, the analogy that's in my mind is I'm thinking about Kristallnacht, you know, I'm thinking about the Holocaust, and yes. I'm thinking about the early signs that things were going to get absolutely terrible for the Jews, and people leaving, you know, in droves while they still could. So I, I sort of see her like that, like she left before the actual genocide started in 1915, but the writing was sort of on the wall at that point. Mm. So she leaves in this context of fear and persecution and mounting danger. And you, symbolically, by digging a hole and returning her picture to the land that was hers, I mean, there's some just profound, you know, return of to where she belonged, to where she had been forced to leave by fear. Mm. But also you're rendering that, that earth sacred. You know, you're rendering it a form of burial ground, which is always sacred. So right. the land becomes sacred for you. True. You know, in this really new way, it seems. I think that's a very, very good way to put it. And that would certainly help me understand why, when I walked on the land, didn't matter where it was Armenian to me, um, I would get choked up. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's very good. And I think that's probably right on. And what you just described, I would say was a connection that I was able to make that I didn't have before I buried my grandmother's picture that catapulted me into being Armenian. I mean, I have always loved all things Armenian, Armenian music, Armenian food, but not being Armenian. And I love being Armenian now. I do. And what I want to do is I want to help those ethnic Armenians who are live in Turkey, who are trying to preserve things that are Armenian. So I've met so many. We met this incredible rug guy. I mean, I grew up, people used to, kids used to make disparaging remarks about me and my, you know, my, me being a rug merchant and a camel rider, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I grew up, it was bad. Anyway, this gentleman was an ethnic Armenian. He told me what his original Armenian family name was. And he was preserving the way that Armenians made silk carpets. So he, he tells his assistant to go, and you'll see this, get this carpet. He's holding one end in his lap, and I'm holding the other end in my lap. This is the most magnificent carpet I have ever felt, touched, or seen. And I said, this must have a million knots in it. And he said, it has 2,900,000 knots in it. I said, it must have taken forever. And he said, it took two women 20 months to make. And I was like, and he said, and it sold for $30,000. But just to touch that, it wasn't quite like touching my grandmother's land, 
but I was touching something that had real meaning. This man was so proud that he was, I mean, he was, you know, he's a well-to-do guy. He sells rugs to make money, but he makes, he has these rugs made this way to keep that alive. And he said, when I die, it will die with me. Amazing, right? I mean, in a way, every act of survival is an act of defiance. You know, every act that preserves the culture is really a, a, such an affirmation of we survived. Yes, and You so, have not won. Yes, but I've been asleep to that until three years ago. Yeah. I mean, I was not aware of that. I was out there doing my thing, telling everybody else's story, and doing a great job and having a wonderful career. But this is a piece I had no idea I was carrying. I'm so grateful <laughs> to see it, feel it, touch it, um, and share it. I have to see. I have to share this. Why are you doing that? Um, because nobody knows about this, and that's dangerous. Why is it dangerous? for all people? I mean, it's sort of uh, simplistic to say, you know, history repeats itself if it's not dealt with properly. I'm. I think it's more important than that, and deeper than that. I mean, I feel like. I mean, are there people out there who think there are a lot of people out there of you know, not just Armenians, but every. Who's, what's what's in the past should stay in the past. Just keep going. And some people make it okay. I mean, I don't know how, what their inner landscape is like, but I know how my inner landscape has changed, and I'm just want to share it and say, "Wow, you know what? <laughs> I mean, I know you don't know, but it's really worth knowing." I mean, it really I mean, is really, worth We're it. talking about healing. Are right. We, aren't this we talking is, about healing? That's right. Yes. yes. Something cannot be healed unless it can be at least spoken about or acknowledged. Or named to begin named. with. You, I mean, if you name it first, it's a beginning. If you tell everybody, all Armenians that are descendants of people who fled the genocide have a story to tell. And it's worth telling. I mean, I'm not saying you have to tell it to the world. I mean, tell it to anybody, somebody who will listen. It will help you. It just does. I mean, you know that, right? You're a psychiatrist. It helps. It does. Um, so you go on this first trip with your daughter. Yeah. And you get to your grandmother's land, and you have this sudden impulse to bury her wedding picture. And mm -hmm. you do, and you dig up a space, and you bury that photograph, and you're very moved mm -hmm. sort of for the rest of the trip, and then you come home. What is it like for you to tell your family, your parents, about what happened to you there? Um, it was really dramatic and quite amazing. And in the beginning of the movie, people will see that my father's very upset that his granddaughter, my daughter Abby, is going to go back to the old country. And he says, he looks right into the camera and says, with the, the, the amount of talent that she has and the future that she has, why would she even think about going backwards? He just didn't understand. So there is trauma speaking. 
That is trauma talking. How? Tell me how it well, is. Well, because that's not, because, okay, so we, let me fast forward now to we come back. I, I do a rough edit of a few scenes. I want to show my father his mother's land, right? It's not a very pretty piece of land, by the way. It's like almost nothing. I mean, so I set up three cameras. <laughs> I put the computer down in front of my parents, and I play this, I don't know, 10-minute scene. And my father is doing everything he can not to cry. Absolutely, he can't help himself. My mother is just beside herself with tears. My fa- when we're done, when we finish, my father says, I was completely wrong in what I said up to my granddaughter. I just, nothing is more important than this. One of the things that I know about silence is that it communicates shame. That what, what we, when, when something is not talked about when we grow up, the child comes to associate that thing with, this must be bad. This is shameful in some way. And the, as long as it stays silent, it stays associated with something shameful and bad. And do you think that Armenians carry a sense of shame about this in some way? I can't answer that question. Can I ask you? I know. I can't answer. Well, here's the thing about shame. Shame is an enormous part of this story. Enormous. I mean, I'm Armenian. You know, I come from a world of people who have been second-class citizens for for hundreds of years, right? right? And then they lose their homeland. They lose their loved ones. They're massacred. Nobody cares. Shame. Right? The shame, I mean, it's shame everywhere. So, you know, I mean, it's a very big part of it. And then the silence, like you said, is, you know, it's shame-based. It's like, no, we're not going to talk about that. Because I'm imagining, so hearing you say, right, so there's this second-class citizen. So already there's this internalized shame, like we're not good enough. You know, there's something about us that's not as worthy or... So there's, that's, the, that's the precondition. That's right. And then all these bad things happen that in some way we are not able to defend ourselves against. We are not able to fight off. We were defeated effectively. And I wonder if there's some feeling of shame like, like this was our failure to protect ourselves and somehow that we, you know, is there any sense of that? The, yes, and I'm, I'm gonna use an example that my daughter doesn't like, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's the way I feel it and understand it. And that is that Armenians are not unlike a victim of abuse who nobody believes. And so they say, what did we do wrong? I believe that. Yeah. I believe that that's true. And I don't say that they're conscious of that. I certainly wasn't. I had no idea. Um, But that's worth knowing because if you are affected by the trauma and don't know it, then you don't know what you're being kept from. And I can't, you know, I just can't say enough about how it's changed all of my work is so much more personal. You can look at my photographs that I've taken in Turkey, which will be in the movie, and and know me, which is something I've always wanted. 
but never been able to do. I mean, I'm a very good photographer, but that's not what I was looking for. This is what I'm looking for. Now, also the denial is a mechanism that really does keep the genocide from ending. It's an ongoing genocide. Yes, I want to talk about that. And, and so Armenians cannot find their moral place in the world unless somehow that changes. And what do you mean, their moral place? Well, I mean, because they are second-class citizens and they are being defined by the denial worldwide. I see they're being kept in that second-class category right. by yes. no one caring. Nobody, but nobody knowing, nobody caring. Yeah. And, and Turkey being effective. It's very, there. the system of denial has been very effective. I mean, and you can read what genocide scholars say about it. It is effective. I mean, people, they're not, the Turks aren't the only ones who've done it, but they've, the one, they've done it for a long time, and it's been very effective. So in a way, when I hear you say their moral place, I mean, I, I wonder if what you're, part of what you're saying is um, their innocence, their sense of their own goodness. Yes. To reclaim that. Yes, being equal. Yes. But, you know, it's not like Armenians are not equal in business, because they are. It's not like they're not equal in pride, because being proud of who they are, because they are, except for what they don't know. And this is what we're talking about here today. And I don't, you know, I feel a little odd. I have preaching. I guess I don't want to do that. I just want to show, I just want to share the movie, share what happened, share the history through my personal story. That's what the movie is. But I hear you, I mean, I don't know if it's preaching, but I hear you wanting to communicate that something really great has happened to you. Well, but personally. Also, also every time we do a screening and Armenians are present, the same thing happens they cry. I mean, we had this one thing happen where we we had a screening in in Gloucester, where I'm where I live, at a community theater, and um, my my daughter was there, and it was sold out. I mean, it was sold out. I mean, it, nobody had to pay, but they had to turn away fifty people. It was amazing, and and there were. Armenians that came as far away from Providence, Rhode Island, drove up in a s snowstorm to watch this 14-minute clip. And we saw something that I had never seen, which is maybe a dozen Armenians at the Q&A during the question and answer stood up and told their stories. I mean, it was, you could hear a pin drop for the 20 minutes that that happened. And they just started as if it were choreographed and rehearsed. My daughter and I were standing there just transfixed. The whole room was transfixed. That happened. I have goosebumps. That's what I hope will happen. Nubara, thank you so much for being my guest on Face Face Radio. Thank you. That was an interview recorded last year with photographer and filmmaker Nubar Alexanian. 2015 was the 100th anniversary of the beginning of the Armenian Genocide. This Sunday, April 24th, will be the 101st. 
Nubar's film is called Scars of Silence, and you can find out more about it at scarsofsilence.com. If you like the show and want to stay connected to these issues, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. You can find all of our past episodes at safespaceradio.com. While you're there, subscribe to our email list if you want to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. Also, leave us a comment. I'd love to hear from you. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor.